You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Brian Eide. I am an elder here and a director of discipleship. And um, it's my pleasure to be able to bring the word this morning. Dylan is uh, away this weekend. He uh, officiated at a wedding. And uh, so he'll be back next week. The series in Exodus will resume uh, then. But uh, you, you may remember we, uh, we, we were, you know, about a month ago or a little less than, we, we started a, a, a brief series uh, from me in Titus. And so we're going to pick up on that today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would just invite you. You can pick one up at the back of the room. It's our gift to you. You can either do it now or on the way out. Um, but I'm going to uh, invite those who are able and willing to stand. We're going to pick up our text in Titus chapter 2. We'll read that together here in just a moment. I'm going to begin in verse 11, Titus 2:11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, as I mentioned here, we are uh, just going to continue on today with a a little discussion here um, related to Titus chapter 2. If you weren't with us last month for the start of this, or even if you were, it's been been a a little bit of time. So I want to take just a little time to remind you uh, of maybe some of the uh, basics of of last week here that will launch us in, a little review, if you would. And uh, we want to just say that the letter to Titus from the Apostle Paul is part of what we'll call the pastoral epistles. Uh, There's uh, the letter to Titus and a couple to Timothy, and they're called pastoral epistles because they're mainly intended to give instruction on how these pastors should be thinking about their congregations and their roles as uh, elders or ministers of the Lord. And so that is the the main thing here. Now, Titus had been given a, a commissioning, basically, to reestablish order uh, amidst chaos that was ensuing in the churches in Crete. You may remember uh, from some previous discussions that uh, a lot of the churches in the New Testament times, right, the early uh, days, weren't actually big buildings. They wouldn't gather uh, somewhere like we are today, but they were house churches. This series of house churches in Crete uh, was, was needing some direction, some definite biblical direction. And the, and the main reason for that is because of the false teachers and the false teachings that had crept in and infiltrated the church. The net effect of those false teachings was seen in their character. And that's rather telling because Cretan character as a whole uh, was notoriously 
notoriously wicked, notoriously, uh, I don't know, deceptive. Uh, They were just known for being a bad lot, uh, okay? Uh, And and we we talked about that last time. But the problem with the church is that there wasn't any distinguishable difference from the church or the Christians uh, in the church of Crete from the average run-of-the-mill Cretan. Hmm. Uh, That's problematic. Paul gave the solution to Titus when he said, hey, your main objective here to restore this problem is to find men of good character who exemplify the gospel with their lives. We've basically dubbing this series title uh, with living proof as the idea. These, These men were to be living proof of the power of the gospel, not only to rescue from sin, but to ultimately uh, bring a reordering and a peace uh, amidst the chaos uh, of what would otherwise be our lives, right? And so that's a a really strong part uh, of this commissioning, right? And so we're going to pick up with some of that, but we would ask, uh, you know, as we, we think about our situation today, right? Uh, As we kind of launch in to chapter two, we're nearly 2,000 uh, years removed and maybe a, a large ocean between us and <laughs> the, the Roman culture that uh, would have been uh, Titus's background here, but uh, there's really not a lot uh, that's new under the sun. The same kinds of temptations and difficulties and problems, the chaos that was part of Crete can easily be the chaos of America. And I think it's pretty clear, pretty safe to say that there are a number of uh, situations where we're beginning to scratch our head and say, is there a distinguishable difference between the American Christian and the American public? That's a question I think we need to keep asking ourselves. Is there living proof uh, in our midst here that the gospel makes a difference? Should the watching world be able to see something notably different? And the answer is absolutely and of course, right? Uh, And so we're going to launch into that. There's really a couple of objectives that I have today. We'll just kind of reinforce the the driving principle. And that driving principle is going to be that the gospel will make a claim on our lives. It it will rearrange things about how we live and how we think. And when we're thinking about a house uh, that's in a uh, state of chaos, right, uh, as the you know, church was and maybe as the residential, the individual homes uh, of Crete was, right, how do we bring that house into order, right? That, that maybe that first principle is just kind of thinking about the idea uh, of our rearranging things according uh, to a new reality, the gospel, right? And so we will take just a little bit of time to do that. And then the larger portion of our time this morning will be what are some snapshots of what that actually looks like uh, in action, right? So enough to think theory, uh, but what does it look like uh, actually carried out? And so we're going to see both of those things uh, this morning. Let's talk just a little bit here from some of the principles you can see right away from verse 11. Paul writes that the grace of God has appeared 
Church, I don't, I don't want you to miss how radical this is. I, the imagery I have in my mind is like, like the sun dawning on a brand new day that has really uh, given uh, kind of way through just a, a, a grip of darkness, right? That, that, that the light has appeared, the, the sun is up, right? The grace of God has come. This is the game changer. This absolutely transforms everything. Don't miss how radical it is. If the light of Christ has dawned upon you, that means that there is every expectation. Not only have you been pronounced free from sins, your, your sins canceled, but you have been sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Uh, multiple scriptures will speak of this New Testament reality for the believer, sealed with God's Spirit. There is a, a, a new reality uh, at work here, and this is absolutely going to make a difference, and it is going to be really the driving force behind the reordering or the rearranging of things in our lives here. I'm going to try to come back to this idea a little later, but we're not talking about white knuckling or kind of just willing, you know, apart from any change within. We're not, we're not talking about making the new you on your own willpower, okay? Yes, your will is going to need to be engaged, but it's the Holy Spirit that God has given that is the engine driving this change, all right? But our, our objective here, Christian, is to reorder according to that work that God has done and is doing uh, within us. And so I hope to make that clearer as we go, all right? You've been called, I've been called to live according to the new nature that God has already proclaimed over us and established in us. It's a reality, even though it is not something we fully see, we won't see it in full until we're resurrected, but we are to take it, lay hold of it by faith and continue to press into living out this new life. Well, as we think about that, right, uh, there's just a few things we might draw out from some of the other verses, uh, the Christian life. Uh, just thinking from verse 12, uh, until Christ returns and calls us home is to be about rearranging and reordering things so that they might better reflect the likeness of Christ. The gospel calls us to live differently. We are to be a holy people. Peter says it this way. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The watching world is to see something different in us. Paul is instructing Titus that he might show uh, the Cretans how to, you know, engage this calling and this purpose because presently it's just disorder and chaos. And they need to recognize, hey, they've been called to live a different life. As we look at it, just a couple other things, verse 13 makes it clear that our lives should be marked by reordered goals, waiting for the return of Christ. It's not a, a call simply to preoccupy ourselves with things that would entertain and keep us satisfied until he returns. And I fear so many Americans with our means and our affluence 
we've given our lives to not, not things that are bad. I'm, not, I'm not, not wagging a finger at any one thing, but we've given our lives to a schedule that is so full of otherwise possibly good things that we don't have it on our bandwidth, really, or in our bandwidth to really give ourselves to some of the things that he might most call us to. And so I just, I just want to point that out. Now, obviously, that doesn't fit everybody equally. But, but really, this reordered uh, idea of, of life, right, with our goals should be seeking to, scheduling opportunities, making it a priority to say, hey, I'm going to put some of the things God is calling me to do uh, at the forefront. And if I have leftover time for some of the other things, great but I don't want to miss uh, these as the big rocks, so to speak, uh, that I'm going to order my schedule according to. Well, verse 14 makes it clear as well that we are to be called uh, to, to be about good works. Uh, we're to have a zeal for them. And again, these have to be recognized as works that will arise from the new nature that's within, okay? Uh, more on that uh, a little later here. But James, uh, in his letter, would remind us of something similar. He says, hey, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers, right? Genuine faith will result in genuine fruit. I, I recognize with any fruit illustration, right? Hey, you, you may have fruit that grows on different trees and different plants at different rates. We're not talking about how fast, how much. We're just saying a, a fruit should be born. If there isn't a fruit and a zeal to see it uh, be born, right? There's something amiss. That's a red flag. And so I just want us uh, to recognize uh, this morning uh, just this uh, principle of the reordered life and the, and the implications that come with it. Maybe, maybe a few brief applications right here on this first point, right? To live a life where nothing is re reordered, that, that's a real temptation. And there are a number of people even that flock to churches, but, but yet don't have maybe any real evidence of things being reordered. That may, that may be, you know, if, if you're here this morning and, and you say, hey, I'm exploring uh, this whole Christian thing. Listen, I'm not expecting you to have made the decisions to reorder things. But if, if you are a follower of Christ, and you can legitimately say there's nothing really reordered, reordered uh, about my life, nothing rearranged. The gospel hasn't made an imposition on any part of who I am. <laughs> that I want to say that that too is a red flag. So we've just got to recognize if we are a people of God's possession, we are called to live life on his terms and not our own. So we're not adding a little Jesus to us. We're saying, hey, Lord Jesus, <laughs> Not my will, but yours be done, right? Secondly, maybe there's a temptation to plateau and to stop rearranging. We become satisfied with, with the way we've arranged things, and, and that's good enough. But, but friend, let me just tell you, right, we are so faithfully fed each week, especially by Dylan as he, as he brings us the word, right? And hopefully you're digging in on your own, right? If the word of God faithfully preached and the word of God as you're seeking it in your own times, if it's not making any inroads where you're presently saying, hey, an adjustment may be in order. I don't necessarily mean every single time, 
But listen, if, if the last time you can say you've made a, a real adjustment is years ago <laughs> or months ago, right? Hey, maybe, just maybe, you're missing something, right? I mean, the Spirit of God has a way of continuously working. And, and again, I know it takes time. As we're, as we're talking about the snapshots here that we'll get to in just a moment, I, I don't want anybody to leave with the impression of, man, if I'm not changed in an instance, Uh, there's something amiss. No, some of the changes that I'm seeing in my life have taken decades of pressing into. (laughs) God's in this for the long haul. So I I don't want want to put on anybody an unrealistic burden of saying you need an overnight change. But if you're here this morning and you can honestly say, my life isn't really about looking to rearrange anything. This is, I think the Lord is, is wanting to get your attention. And to, and to, you know, have you yield that? Finally, I'd say to be zealous about doing good works. Hey, it's got to be on the foundation of that Holy Spirit within us. We're, we're, not, we're not asking somebody to produce fruit uh, where there hasn't been a, a transformation at the inmost level. So that said... Right, uh, those are just some things to think about from this first principle here of, of a gospel reordering. I want to move on here to get into some of these snapshots. And as we do, right, the snapshots that I want to look at, uh, it would be easy uh, to, you know, kind of leave the discussion of a gospel reordered life hanging on vague generalities. Uh, thankfully, Paul, in the text that uh, precedes uh, the passage we've looked at already, he makes it very clear, hey, that there are some real vivid snapshots of, of some gospel rearranging. And, uh, you know, we can only touch the surface of these this morning because they're going to come in rapid fire. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to take a look at just a, a few of these snapshots. The first of them is going to be to older men. And if you were to back up, I've taken the liberty uh, this morning to take our text just a little bit out of order because I think really the passage that we read at the start is, is the kind of summary uh, of these four snapshots, uh, these all pointing to the reality of the re- rearranged life. But uh, this uh, principle here uh, of, of the rearranged life as a snapshot in men Verse 2 says the older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, this is quite a, a, a picture here. The power of the gospel at work in older men. And older men, gosh, uh, you know, it seems like probably Paul is referring to somebody in their 40s or, or, or so up, perhaps, okay? Just, just, you know, it's hard to put an exact number on this, okay? But uh, older Christ-following men are to have some notable characteristics. Now, last month, we talked about the character qualities needed to be an elder, but I kind of hinted at those are the qualities that we should all be seeking, right? And, and that we're looking to find elders who embody these things so that we can imitate those. These uh, are qualities that should be present in older men. They possess a sound faith that evidences itself continuously through a a Christ-given love, right? They've got a love and a faithfulness that abounds to others. They're marked with a humility because of it. Their character isn't about simply being made wise and more temperate with age, although there is a correlation in some cases to that, 
But this is, make no mistake about it, this is the work of the Holy Spirit at work in them. And, and to be sure, just because people are older doesn't guarantee that these qualities are going to be present. But if you've been laboring in the gospel, if you've been seeking to apply it to your life, hey, these qualities in increasing measure should begin showing up uh, on, on the graph of your life, so to speak, right? Um, Paul's point is that over the long haul, there will be a sanctification in you men, and that as that happens, you will have a greater strength that you can humbly use and exert for the good of those around you. Uh, You're not simply giving yourself to the whims of satisfying selfish and ungodly desires. I think in a culture right now that devalues in so many ways uh, the male, uh, you know, role and certainly diminishes the idea uh, of leadership, we need to recognize, hey, God has definitely called you men to be about embracing the gospel in such a way that the fruit in your life would be compelling and really just so helpful to those around you. As you say something to the effect of follow, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And especially as we look at the, the next stage of this, because uh, it's not just older men that are in view, younger men too, but, but older men, you, you have a, a real opportunity to impact and influence younger men to follow after Christ, right? And so Paul will similarly say uh, to younger men, let me go ahead and advance that, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled, right? And here we'll just say briefly, our culture, our culture doesn't even have a category for the idea of young men really being self-controlled, right? We, we in so many ways suggest, oh, yeah, yeah. whether it's hormones or, or just youth and frontal lobe not being developed, we, we, we say things like, ah, they're young, you know, uh, boys will be boys. We, 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 we just say, hey, it's, it's hormones, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I get those are real challenges. But to that, there is a real Holy Spirit that can be at work in young men in such a way that enables and transforms young men to live differently than the culture around. And so I just want to say, young men, you can't buy into the lie that this culture is selling, that there is just nothing better than you could do than to go with whatever whims uh, of kind of desires and drives uh, that, that befall you. Nothing you can do about it. You've got to be true to you. And that's a, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It just is. And, and I just point one, one element of it out on the drives. There's so many, there's so many drives that, that could consume, uh, appetites that could consume a, a young man, but it, it is clear as day that coming out of the wake of the sexual revolution and our cultural embrace of pornography, that pornography is absolutely wrecking so many young men and consuming their appetites and leaving them with very little that they can give over to living the life that Christ has called. I'm talking about even Christian young men. And so there is a real need to recognize the truth that Paul is calling and and saying, hey, I've got the Holy Spirit within me. I've got a rearranged life that I'm called to live, and I can do it for the glory of God. 
I know these things are hard. And I know these things uh, require grace, but hey, a new day has dawned. The grace of God has appeared, right? That, that, that's the whole point uh, earlier. Well, let's talk just a little bit. A, another uh, picture here is going to be for the women. And older women, Paul writes, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. The power of the gospel at work in older ladies, and I'm not even gonna give an age for the older ladies, okay? okay? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but once in a while I get something right, okay? Even a little dumb luck, right? Uh, The older ladies though, uh, it is a gospel transformed demeanor that is going to be evident in you. This is the living proof of the gospel at work in you. It's going to affect the way uh, that you behave towards others and it's going to affect even your speech. Uh, The idea that Paul writes uh, of of reverence, reverence in the Greek culture might be thought of as, as, uh, you know, translated literally as conduct fitting for the temple. I think better for our age might be simply just the idea uh, of God character, okay? It's a little general, but it's still uh, the idea that there is to be a godly conduct about you in the various situations and circumstances and events that you find yourself in. Now, this isn't exclusive, obviously, to the ladies, but this is interesting, uh, just that Paul will, uh, you know, write this. Uh, We can only imagine, based on some of what we're seeing, that the chaos and the disorder in the Cretan churches, uh, I imagine that these qualities were fundamentally lacking in many of the Cretan women, right? And so it should be recognized that these things don't come automatically, right? Uh, But the older women uh, are, are those who have learned with help of the Holy Spirit to tame their tongues, Ah, If you know the uh, letter of James, which I referred to earlier, that is no small task, right? Uh, Perhaps there is a particular temptation here in Crete as as Paul is recognizing uh, this need uh, to be uh, women who are uh, not slanderers, right? Uh, This this is, uh, you know, a temptation that they may have faced and certainly... Uh, you know, we, we might think of scenarios where uh, in circles women are, are prone to maybe a gossip or that leads to a slanderous uh, behavior, all right? And so Paul is saying, hey, there's nothing, nothing even remotely part of your Christian calling that would partake in this, right? We need to put that off. The world around us uh, may engage in it. But your speech is to be marked uh, in ways that will build others up, not in malicious accusation of others. Uh, Nor uh, is there uh, an excessive love for wine. And even in our culture, uh, you know, I've seen plenty of uh, T-shirts here that uh, some women will wear being a wine mama, right? Uh, (laughs) Nothing wrong with a little fruit of the vine, all right, in right measure. And so we just got to recognize the, the godly woman here in Christ 
has her wits about her enough that she's able to think on a larger picture. And, and I just I w- I want to suggest here as we get to teaching what is good, the emphasis on the teaching is not a formal instruction. It's more with your life and the way you live it. There's something that you're modeling uh, before uh, others, especially the young ladies. And in that, right, uh, I would say that with any number of social events and kind of opportunities to enjoy life and be entertained, there's not a forgetting uh, of a larger calling, right? And so it is possible, I think, uh, to live life in in such a way that overlooks that. So I'll just ask, uh, ladies, are, are you looking beyond social events to see opportunities that God has put in your life to really be an influence to those younger ladies in your life? that they would imitate you, that they would see something beautiful about your example, the way you talk, and as we'll see in a moment, even the way you talk about your husbands if you're married, right? Your speech uh, is something that is such a powerful witness and testimony to the work of Christ in you or possibly to the contrary, right? That this is, this is a challenge for sure. But hey, in all of these, whether we're talking young men, older men, uh, younger women, older women, the same Christ who rose from the grave and is going to resurrect your body from the grave if you're a follower of him, it's no difficulty for him to transform your character as you seek him out, right? Uh, So uh, whatever your pattern has been, uh, it's not too much for him. This is is something to think about and to bring to prayer and say, hey, Lord, uh, where would you have me continue uh, to seek you and press into you in these matters? Well, younger women, um, are, are to be, you know, those that the uh, older women are, are training through their influence to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, and submissive to their husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. There's a lot going on here. And uh, in, in the time that we have this morning, we're not going to unpack all the possibilities here. Uh, But I'll just say, let's keep in mind the larger picture. Paul's saying, hey, what is going to bring about a a harmony and an absolute demonstration of the Spirit of God's power, right? Um, Let's be clear on a couple things. We're not talking about uh, subverting women, okay? Uh, This idea that Paul is building on, uh, it's got a few larger principles involved. I'll just briefly summarize to say that without a shadow of a doubt, Women are created equal in worth, all right? And equally will be partakers of all of the promises of Christ and are absolutely valued uh, and loved by God in every way uh, that, that any man is. This is not about an inequality of worth. What it is, is a definite re- recognition that there is a difference of role, right? And, and so uh, we could have lots of larger discussions about this, but, but two, two points that we'd say here, even in the Trinity, we see differences of roles, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each different in role, but equal in worth, equally God, equally esteemed, right? There's, there's no subverting of one member of the Trinity over the other. And I think it's 
it's very needed to emphasize that Paul is not trying to subvert humanity against itself, okay? But there is a calling from Genesis 2 that he's referring to, that Adam was to be a leader, a humble leader, a leader under authority himself. And as he would lead under the authority that he had been given with humility, it would be something, uh, I think, of a, uh, of a delight to follow that lead. Eve was the strong helper that had been given because he was inadequate to carry out uh, the full commissioning of his role without her. He needed her desperately, and that had nothing to do with who would do the dishes, okay? It had everything to do with the larger calling. Uh, of, of subduing the earth. Well, I don't want to get too lost in that, but I, I just want to emphasize Paul is not subjugating women uh, to the home as if they have no value or worth, nor is he suggesting women can't work outside the home or anything like that. But he is saying absolutely that a radical sign of the work of God in their lives will be that there is an undeniable love and respect that they show for their husbands and an investedness in the things that are going on in their home. And, and these, these, are, these are hard to talk about without kind of spelling out more details perhaps, but we just gotta leave it at, at this. There is a tendency, was in Crete, as well as today, that, that a woman can be about any number of things, but Paul is reminding uh, of that God-given central role to make sure that, that there is an investment of, of the fundamental uh, things that will make a house, a house of order. Uh, the children and the husband and a harmony in there, right? Now, this doesn't come without the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Who, who wants, who wants to submit to anything ultimately? There's something within all of us that rail against that idea, right? But we've got to get back to what the gospel does. The gospel, rightly applied, will create men that are not impossible to follow. It will create men who are humble and who are not leading out of selfish desire, who are not absorbed with kind of uh, non-eternal uh, things and are living just for themselves, right? That this is an important part to understand. Uh, a gospel calling on the men makes it so much easier for a woman to follow, uh, a wife to follow uh, this uh, whole directive. And in the midst of this, the harmony that is produced in the family will be undeniable and amazing. Well, hey, let's just make one point clear here as we wrap up this particular section. And I know uh, a lot of you know, follow-up study could be done here. But I will say this, there is no sense in which a, a wife is called to uh, submit to the authority uh, of a man who is clearly defying God's will who is going against what the scripture would say or who is asking her to do or partake in something that is only fostering his sinfulness, okay? That these things are not in view, all right? The idea is a humble, Christ-like, loving kind of leadership. And where that's present, it's going to be a joy to follow. But there is certainly uh, no call uh, to, you know, submit to things that would not honor God. Well, having said that, we want to move on here 
to consider a third category of bond servants, and we'll move more quickly through this, uh, but bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. As we talk about bond servant, we'll just say, hey, this is not American slavery. This is, you know, uh, up to a third of the Roman workforce who could not pay their debts were working off their debts with every intention of being able to be freed at some point. But Paul says something that is rather astonishing. What? You mean I should put my heart into my work? I, I should give them my best? You know what? Any Cretan, the Cretans were known for being lazy drunkards. Any Cretan would have been like, what is going on here? Did you see what happened at work today? Uh, that guy actually worked hard. Uh, what's wrong with him, right? You know what? Increasingly, our culture might say the same thing, and we're not talking indentured servitude here, but I'll tell you what, men, women, young, old, the way you go about your work speaks volumes about who your God is. Because increasingly we're seeing all of these things of pilfering and disrespect and, and just, you know, uh, all sorts of, you know, uh, argumentative elements uh, at work, right? You have a powerful opportunity to make testimony of your faith being something that gives living proof, right, uh, to the, the gospel, by the way you do your work. And, and we're just gonna leave uh, that at that in the interest uh, of, of moving on. But uh, this is an awesome subject and something I think it would be great to talk about further, uh, maybe in small groups. But let's go ahead and, and uh, get to the last part. The leaders also are in view here. And Paul writes, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Well, uh, I want to just say simply, we, we've got a, a what and a how. What needs to be sound doctrine? A leader within the church, and certainly an elder, is not free to bend with the times and change the word of God. We've got to hold fast to it. Uh, we've got to let it be our confidence. Uh, it, it is God we want to please, not the itching ears uh, of a culture who is ever kind of distancing itself from scriptural truth. It's the gospel uh, and the unchanged gospel that transforms lives, right? So, so we, can't, we can't veer off course from that. But the how we do it with a, with a humility and a dignity and a grace Every once in a while, you'll hear people uh, just, you know, teaching with a, a total sarcasm and almost an eliteness. That's not to be part of uh, uh, the humble leadership here and the teaching uh, that is to go on. So those are just a few things. As we, as we kind of make application there, I want to continue to encourage you to pray, pray for us elders. 
and for other leaders in the church. Let, let these qualities uh, and, and a heart, a passion for scripture continue to be on their, uh, you know, on their minds and on their souls here. And so pray, pray for them on that level, right? Uh, and the second thing I want to say is, hey, you, you can make uh, the life of any elder or, or leader in the church, uh, you can make their job easier. As you, as you are looking to scripture and loving scripture and wanting to conform yourself to scripture, right? You're just easier to lead, right? Uh, it's not like pulling teeth here to get people to say, hey, uh, this, is, this scripture is good for you and, and I'm not lording anything over you nor is any other leader, uh, but other than what we think will bring gospel flourishing in your life, right? That, 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 is, that is the heart and the passion. And so your responsiveness to the word of God, and by the way, even last month, so many of you uh, just giving me encouragement on, on uh, how Titus uh, you know, spoke to you. Uh, you know, I love, I love that you love uh, the scripture. And, and uh, you know, a number of you uh, showing that heart. Um, I, just, um, I thank God for that. Well, uh, as we uh, wrap up, all right, uh, I want, want to just say this. We talked about the temptations that existed earlier, those temptations to make no rearrangements in life, <laughs> the temptations to plateau, or the temptations to white-knuckle these things and try to do it uh, in your own strength. We've looked at some snapshots this morning, and even there, you might say, hey, I need some changes uh, to be made. But let me emphasize, it's gotta be done by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not wanting anybody to leave here today and say, how can I muster up my own strength independently to carry these things out? Uh, and so if you're not a believer this morning, listen, that starts with you embracing the gospel message. You need that transplant of, of identities. Uh, but if you are a believer, uh, my heart for you is just press into uh, that Holy Spirit work that, that God wants to do. And it may take time, but be prayerful about it. And, and yield to him as he begins to, you know, uh, make inroads in your, in your heart. Let's go ahead. Uh, we'll pray and give God thanks. Heavenly Father, your word is good. Even, even when it challenges us, even when it provokes us, even when it's hard. Lord, would you give us faith, eyes of faith, to, to recognize that what you're calling us to uh, will be our own flourishing and our own benefit. You never call us to something that just leaves us in a, in a, in a place where we would not thrive uh, ultimately. And so we just pray for your grace. Help us to believe you. And we pray that you would give us just a, a great amount of assistance from the Holy Spirit that, that you've put within. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have not left us to our own power and our own device, uh, but you've given us one another, you've given us your word, and you've given us the helper, the strong helper, the Holy Spirit. We just pray for your blessing and your continued help and guidance. Help us to resist the, the temptations that we face. Help us, Lord, to put off the things our culture is constantly calling us to put on. Help us that we might better reflect the power of Christ and the harmony and the peace that the gospel provides to this watching world. 
let us do it that we would give glory to your name and Lord uh, that our our friends and our families our loved ones would all benefit and flourish in the good of what you're doing in and through us we give you thanks and praise in Jesus name amen